invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, last week we were in verses 19 to 24. And uh, in those verses, Jesus began dealing with the believer's relationship to earthly goods uh, and earthly possessions, to wealth. And he warned us not to live as those who lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. We are to make serving the Lord our priority. Uh, He is our God. We serve at his pleasure. We do not serve wealth, possessions, nor any other uh, false god. We noted how last week how everyone um, needs a certain amount of wealth, a certain amount of goods. We need food and drink shelter, clothing. Uh, These are considered necessities. And yet, uh, we cannot serve two different masters. Again, we serve God. We can use and receive earthly goods, uh, and we can use them in a Christian way. We receive them ultimately as from God, and we steward them as gifts to us from Him, uh, but we cannot serve them. And now, as we get to verse 25... Jesus makes a point, another point, an inference from this teaching as he continues to talk about our relation to earthly goods. So let's read starting in verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If we think about last week's passage, verses 19 and 24, and this talk of storing up goods, we might think, well, You know, I'm not really asking for riches. I'm not asking for an abundance of everything. That's not really what I'm after. But I I would like to have the necessities of life. I am concerned about that. My my concern is over the the core needs, food, whether we'll have them, what's tomorrow going to bring, and so on. And Jesus now addresses that. Uh, So still, he's, he's drawing a point from this uh, he's, he's making a, a point to us from this reality, this teaching that we cannot serve two masters. He reveals that there's another way we might serve the God of mammon 
It may not be that we desire to heap up all kinds of possessions and be super rich, but we might still worry about these very things, these necessities of life. And in response, Jesus instructs us that we are not to be anxious about the physical necessities of life, but rather we are to trust God to provide while prioritizing kingdom matters. Before we dive into these verses, I want to just give, remind us, I guess, of the definition of anxiety that we're working with here so that we can understand what it is we are and what we are not saying when we talk about anxiety. When Jesus says, do not be anxious here, he's not suggesting that um, life ought to just be carefree, that it's just kind of lighthearted, there's an airiness, we just kind of float along, nothing's a big deal, nothing really bothers, there's no big concern or anything like that, life's just easygoing, free of all burden or care. That's not what this means. If you remember way back in Philippians chapter 2 when we were there uh, in verse 20, we noted there that uh, Paul mentioned that Timothy had a genuine concern for the churches. And that word that's translated genuine concern is the same Greek word that's anxiety. He had an anxiety that's not a sinful one. Paul's commending Timothy for this concern. He was burdened. He had a, a burden and a weightiness for the health of the churches. He was greatly concerned about it. It it weighed upon him. So so when Jesus says, don't be anxious, he's not saying that there's never anything that's weighty or that we we don't feel a sense of weight about important matters. That's that's not what he's saying. Life is not simply lighthearted and easy. And if it's anything other, then you're doing it all wrong. That's not what he's saying. What is being condemned here is being unduly concerned about a matter. It is excessive concern about the necessities of life, worrying about them. It could be in the form of obsessing or being consumed by these matters, playing it over and over again in our minds, becoming focused upon and upset about what may or or may not be tomorrow. It's an undue angst about life. So as we go through these verses, we're going to look at truths to remember that will help you battle sinful anxiety. Jesus doesn't just condemn it. He doesn't just say, don't do it. But he provides us with encouragement and help here as we fight to put off this anxiety. And so these are truths that will aid us in the battle to guide us through the turmoil, the difficulty that is life. So we're looking at truths that will encourage and help you to put off anxiety. And the first one is that anxiety is sin. That might not seem like a terribly encouraging start, uh, but the reality is if you're going to have any victory over the anxiety that Jesus is talking about here, it's important that you diagnose it correctly, that you might then fight it correctly and properly. The reality is, no no matter what sin we're talking about, we're very good at rationalizing our sins. We think, well, this is a, when it comes to anxiety, we think, well, this is a really important matter. And so it justifies that I am 
consumed by focusing upon this, that this takes precedent over everything else, that I spend so much of my day thinking about it and focusing upon it. I'm in turmoil because this is really important. We rationalize it that way. But Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. He commands you to not be anxious about your life, about really important things like what you're going to eat or drink or wear. And, and what he's saying there, he's not saying don't worry about, you know, don't get anxious about what you're going to cook for supper when you open the fridge and look at it. He's not saying don't be anxious about what you're going to put on when you open your you know, closet and there's a ton of clothes there and you can't figure out which one to wear. That's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about don't be anxious about whether or not you will possess food and clothing and drink. About your life, these things that will actually sustain you and keep you alive. These things that are necessary to live. And so we can reason, I think, rightly, if we're not even supposed to worry about these things, then how much more should we apply this to all the other areas of life, all the lesser things that we do tend to get all anxious about and worked up about? We need to call our anxiety sin. Jesus commands us not to do it. So to disobey the command of our Lord is sin. Another way that some people maybe avoid calling it sin is that they try to merely view it as simply a physical matter. It's just a physical sickness. So I just want to take a minute try to explain what I mean here because it could easily be misunderstood but anxiety is something that is often felt very intensely in our bodies we get sick to the stomach maybe tightness in the chest headaches whatever it might be so anxiety is one of those sins that reminds us that we are body and soul we have a material part of us and an immaterial part of us And the relationship between the two can be very complicated. Sometimes there are medical problems, a medical problem with our body, a physical problem, a sickness, that can cause that physical sensation of anxiety. There's there's examples out there, bad thyroid, for example. There's, There's various things... That, that can cause that sensation of anxiety, that tightness in the chest and so on. And so I would always and do always tell somebody if they're dealing with anxiety and these physical responses and reactions to go to a doctor, to see your doctor, to, to have your doctor run tests to see if there is anything physically wrong with you that could be contributing to this or even the cause of this perhaps. So I, we, we, we need to get help if we need it to... to uh, deal with, you know, to respond to this with, uh, in a biblical way, but also it, it's good to go to a doctor and say, can, I'm having this issue, I'm getting help, but can you just help me run tests? Can you run tests to see if there's anything wrong with me? But generally speaking, 
the physical feelings associated with anxiety are being driven by the sinful anxiety that is in our spirits, the worry. And one error is that people sometimes want to just get rid of the physical symptoms and they don't deal with the root matter. They, just, they want to feel better. They don't want to have this feeling of anxiety. And so they want to just deal with those symptoms and try to get rid of those. And they don't end up fighting it as sin. They just want to feel better. But they don't get to the root of the matter. And so progress is slowed or it seems like it never comes because the root issue is not being dealt with. Again, people, another thing people do, we, we use this word, I'm just a worrier. I'm just a worrier. Well, this is not how we should speak of sin. You, you might acknowledge you have a tendency to worry and you might say I'm a worrier and lament it. That's fine. But not, we should not use that to excuse it. Right? We, we, would not, we don't speak like that of, we shouldn't speak like that of any other sin either. Well, I'm just a lustful person, so there's not much I can do here. We know that's completely wrong. Well, I'm just an idolater. We don't speak of sin that way. So we need to recognize anxiety as sin and fight it as sin. And surely this is helpful. This will help you. We don't just fight the symptoms. We attack the root, seeking to focus our minds upon truth, to take our minds off of those things and matters that are troubling and worrying your soul to then instead believe and meditate upon the truth. We believe the truth with our minds and then we seek to live in light of it. And as we do this, we are leading our feelings. And in time, those feelings of anxiety, they are eased as we do this. And and I'm not presenting this as a as some, I'm not trying to be simplistic here. I'm not saying that we just, you know, think of the true thing and then all of a sudden we feel great about everything. That's, that's not how it works often. It's not instant. It's not overnight. But this is the way to battle through it, to think about the truth, to believe the truth, to focus ourselves upon what is good. This is why in Philippians 4 that we read, Paul immediately after telling us not to worry, but to pray and to be thankful. And then he goes into telling us what to think about. Whatever is ultimately good, he's saying. This is how we battle through anxieties. Battling or understanding that anxiety is sin should also be encouraging to you for another reason. And that is because God is committed to sanctifying his people, which means there is hope for you As you battle your worry and anxiety, God is committed to complete the work that he has begun in you. It may not happen on the timeline that you desire. We would like to have this over with now and be sanctified from this. It may not happen as quickly as you wish, but God is committed to sanctifying his people. And so we battle then with a hopefulness that Christ will sanctify you. So that's the first truth. Anxiety is sin. The second truth here to help you put off anxiety is that life is more than earthly needs. Life is more than earthly needs. We need a constant reminder of this. A constant reminder. So again, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Right, food and clothing are important. They're necessities of life. But Jesus is reminding us, us here that life is not simply about these things. It's not simply about our physical survival and our physical necessities. We could chase those things our entire life and then die and then what? Again, as we discussed last week, Christians are those who look beyond what we can simply see with our eyes. We are those who live by faith. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We are therefore aliens and strangers here and now as we go about our life here. There's a reason you don't feel quite at home in this world if you're God's part of God's kingdom. And we understand that God has created this world and he has purposes. He has purposes for us that are more than simply about toiling and laboring so as to get food and clothing. We are meant to live for him and to live to him. But of course, we know from scripture and from experience and looking out, mankind has rebelled. Against this, man does not live for God and for his glory. So Hebrews 9 tells us, just as it is, is it, sorry, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There is a day when all men and women will stand before God and have to face God's judgment. And being able to survive that judgment, to be able to pass through that judgment and not be condemned for our sin and cast into hell under God's just wrath, this is of primary importance. It's of paramount concern. Jesus also told us, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, to seek out all those earthly necessities and goods and get them all and forfeit his soul, only to die and then be judged by God and condemned eternally. Life is about more than just the here and now material things. If you think about the whole of Scripture, there is a whole drama of redemption going on in which God is redeeming sinful people out of this world, drawing them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son, redeeming fallen humanity in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as we read, has offered Himself once for all for the sins of many. And so we have desperate need as individuals of being redeemed, of this redemption, of the forgiveness of sins that comes in Jesus' name. We have desperate need of being reconciled to God to be brought out of this kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom. And Christ's disciples are those who have repented of their sin, acknowledged their sinful condition before God, and have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ.
And we know that we are citizens of that kingdom now, but that kingdom is not here in its fullest expression. But it will be when the Lord Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom. He will usher it in in its fullness. And so we are those who live in light of that day. When the Lord will complete the redemption of his people. And all of this is what the church proclaims to the fallen world. It is true that the world is a disaster. But it's not just out there. It's not just in the politicians. You, every person, individually, has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every individual is in need of the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ because every individual will stand as an individual before the Lord to be judged. And then what? And that judgment we know is in righteousness. And so the good news that we also proclaim is that there is redemption. There is gracious redemption and pardon for those many sins in Jesus Christ, for all who believe in him. And for all who do, you will be pardoned, clothed in righteousness, and granted eternal life. You will be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. You will dwell forever in the eternal kingdom of God. So is not life more than food? Not even food and clothing. Not even the preservation of your own life is to be your main priority. And so when you are anxious about the affairs of this world, about your life, about what is to come, about important things that truly do matter, remember, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. This body that you've been given is meant to be used for God's ends and God's glory. And yes, it will be laid in the dust one day, but all in Christ will have your mortal body one day changed and glorified to be like Christ's glorious resurrection body. Remember these things. Life is more than about the physical necessities that we have. Third truth that will help in battling anxiety. It is good and right to trust God for your needs since he cares and provides. It is good and right to trust God for your needs since he cares and provides. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Jesus appeals here to the created order, to nature, to make his point. 
He points us to the birds of the air. They don't sow and reap like a farmer does. And yet, they are fed, they are nourished, Jesus says, by your Father. This implies a high view of God's providence. The animals are not just randomly off doing their own thing, disconnected from God. They're not part of a, a seemingly random life cycle. The animal kingdom certainly, as we look out, it looks incredibly chaotic. It reflects our sin-cursed world. It is extended to nature, we know. But God still rules all things by his providence. And birds ultimately get their food at God's say-so, at his provision. Jesus says, are you not of more value than they, than the birds? If God is concerned for birds, how much more is he concerned for the pinnacle of his creation, mankind? Particularly, those he has redeemed out of sin, his church, his people. Does he not care for you? How much more than the birds In verse 28, Jesus then points us to the lilies of the field, to flowers. These beautiful and intricate flowers, they don't toil. They don't spin out thread so as to make a garment and clothe themselves. And yet, God has seen fit to maintain that this fallen world would still have the beauty of a flower. Which Jesus says is more glorious in the finest attire of kings, even a grand king like Solomon. And yet, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then relegated to the oven tomorrow, if he cares for these, though they meet such an ignoble end, how much more will he care for you, child of God? Jesus actually says here, you of little faith, which reminds us that this matter of anxiety is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust in the Lord. Does God care? He does. Is he worthy then to be trusted? He is. Does he rule all things by his providence? He does. So it is good. It is right to trust God for your needs because he cares and he rules and he provides. We do not come at this in a simplistic or foolish way. We've talked last week about how God has called us to work. It's good to work, to seek to provide for our families, those of us who have families and dependents. God commands this. But ultimately, we understand that behind all of this is God. And that he is the one who sovereignly provides for us, even as we work. So it's not either we work hard or we trust God. We don't quit our jobs and say, well, we'll just trust God. But even as we go day after day and seek to provide... We do that in full recognition that ultimately we are sustained by God himself. That all of this is in his hands. 
It is good and right to entrust your needs today and into the future to your God who cares, to your God who knows your needs, to your God who provides. This is faith. This is the opposite of fretting about all your needs. Put it in the Lord's hands. Peter talks about casting your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Throw them at his feet and walk away. Walk away. Trust that God is God. He cares. He provides. It's good and right to stop the fretting upon these things. Fourth truth to encourage you in battling anxiety is that worry profits you nothing. Worry profits you nothing. Back up to verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? This is, of course, a rhetorical question. Anxiety, fretting about things, worrying, it accomplishes nothing. This is your Lord telling you this. You can't add anything to your life by worry. It profits you zero. Again, we convince ourselves we have to. We have to become obsessed with this. We have to focus on this. We ha- no, it'll gain you nothing. Say you really do have a genuine need, something that's important. Again, that's what Jesus is talking about, necessities of life. What is fretting about it going to help? Again, we tell ourselves it's important, it's necessary to fret because this is really important. But you can acknowledge a need. You can seek to fulfill that need. You can seek help from others to fulfill that need all without worrying about it and becoming obsessed about it. How much time is wasted with our vexing? It's, it's empty. It's not just that anxiety is sin, but it's useless. It, it helps nothing. It accomplishes nothing. So see it here for the emptiness that it is. Walk away from it as best you can. Strive to leave it behind. To put your mind on things above. Fifth truth. A worried pursuit of earthly goods is a characteristic of unbelievers. A worried pursuit of earthly goods is a characteristic of unbelievers. This is the world's way of life. Very much so in our day, but it's not unique to us. Obviously, Jesus is saying this in the first century. But materialism is big. People live for their stuff. People live for their goods. They work so that they can take that stuff they've bought and go enjoy it for two weeks. Verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In light of God's providence and care for his people, Jesus repeats the command here. 
to not be anxious with worried inquiries about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drink. Why does he tell us this? Because for this is what the Gentiles do. He's saying this is what unbelievers do. This is what pagans do. They make life about the pursuit of these things. Whereas your heavenly father is aware of these necessities. Again, our existence is about more than this. And our God knows our needs and he cares and he is worthy to be trusted. So we don't obsess about and worry about these things as unbelievers do. They have nothing beyond this life that they're looking forward to, to live for. They're suppressing the truth about God. The reality that life is about more than food and material goods. The sixth and and final truth to help you battling your anxiety. You are called to pursue the priorities and concerns of God's kingdom while trusting him with tomorrow. You are called to pursue the priorities and concerns of God's kingdom while trusting him with tomorrow. So if we want to put off anxiety, then we need to put something on in its place. If we're not living just for our physical necessities and making that the purpose of our life, what are we doing? Well, Jesus tells us, so he takes us off of anxiety, do not be anxious, but, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Notice the word first. It's a matter of priorities, a matter of main concerns. Above all, Christ's people are those who seek the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. Now to any unbeliever who would hear these words of Christ or read these words, this is first a call to enter the kingdom of God, to confess your sin to Almighty God, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And as we've said, all who thus hope in Christ are made citizens of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not something that presently has borders. Jesus says in Luke 17, it's not something you can observe like other kingdoms. It is fundamentally a spiritual kingdom here and now that we enter into by faith in Christ Jesus. Yet we know it is a kingdom that will yet be consummated. It will be something we can see more, we can, we can see better when the Lord Jesus returns. And to enter the kingdom of God now is to come under God's saving reign and rule through faith in Christ Jesus. And those who are part of this kingdom are to continue seeking that kingdom above all, which I would suggest means making kingdom matters our greatest and highest priority. does not mean that we are trying to seeking the kingdom. There's all kinds of people hone in on that phrase and go in all kinds of crazy directions. This does not mean that we are trying to usher in Christ's eschatological kingdom 
as if our works are going to bring it about here on earth. This is not teaching some view of where we are trying to reconstruct society into a Christian society through our political engagement. Again, the kingdom of Christ is now primarily, fundamentally, a spiritual kingdom that is entered into by faith. And so to seek the kingdom of God as his people now is to live here and now in this world as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, as those who are awaiting its coming consummation, its coming in glory, who are looking ahead to that day and living in light of it, those who are busying ourselves, prioritizing ourselves now with the kingdom work that we have been given, laying up treasures in heaven, as Jesus has already been explaining to us, practicing our righteousness and our righteousness now before the eyes of God, not man, as Jesus has also been explaining through chapter 6. There's obviously a broad range of activities that are included under seeking the kingdom. I hesitate to get any more specific because we could miss things. But it would certainly include Engaging in and supporting evangelism, missions, the gospel is proclaimed, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is how sinners enter into the kingdom of God through faith, through believing the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. That ought to be, obviously, a significant concern of ours. We can seek the kingdom of God as well, I think, as we Go about our normal daily activities as well, our parenting. We're we're seeking to parent in light of eternity. Desiring to have the priorities of God in our home. Working in light of eternity. Again, storing up treasures in heaven. It involves gathering with other kingdom citizens in local assemblies called churches. Making use of the means of grace together. Certainly seeking the kingdom would involve seeking to know God more, opening his word to read it, praying to him, private prayer and reading, public prayer and reading as we gather as the Lord's people and so on. We're to seek the kingdom of God first. Jesus also says, and his righteousness. I believe what he means here by seeking his righteousness is seeking holiness. It's seeking Christ's likeness. So we're seeking to know God and to mimic His moral perfection. These are the things that ought to be our primary concern as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as Christians. Not fretting after earthly goods or necessities, but prioritizing the kingdom of God and seeking Christ's likeness. Again, this doesn't mean that these Necessities aren't important. Jesus is not suggesting that. He's talking about priorities. We trust that God will add these things to us, provide for us, but we prioritize. We never put on hold seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness.
even in the midst of much uncertainty. None of this goes on hold in order to fret over all these other matters. In Luke 10, 42, it says, Jesus is talking and he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Again, Mary's concern there is she's trying to be hospitable to the Lord. That's a very good thing to do. But she is doing it in this, with this inordinate, inordinate, undue concern. Anxiety, worry. As God's people, we are to be those who choose the good portion. The one absolutely necessary and essential thing. She was sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary was, listening to the Lord, hearing him teach. That one essential thing is knowing our Lord, feeding on his word, prioritizing that which he prioritizes. Verse 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We prioritize the kingdom of God, we pursue righteousness, and we trust God for tomorrow. We live in this present day and we entrust tomorrow to Him. If we justify worrying about tomorrow, we will never just be thankful to God in the present moment. If I'm worried about what's happening Monday, what's going to be there Monday, then I'm not going to be thanking God for providing today. Monday comes, things didn't turn out as disastrously as we feared, and yet rather than being thankful for that, we're worried about Tuesday. And on and on it goes. We're thankful for today's provisions and we entrust our God with what is ahead. This is good. With our, our world in the state that it's in, with godlessness all around us and many seemingly intent on destroying that which is good about our society in order to try to rebuild something else they think will be better. Being driven by godless ideologies with all the false prophets of doom announcing the the doom that's coming from climate change And with legitimate concerns that we might have about food, about supply chains. As we think about the ongoing sexual revolution and the absolute suppression of truth all around us on this matter. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for us to continue to fight our anxiety. To continue to grow in our trust of God. And I don't say that in a discouraging way. Testing proves faith. 
So let us remember, as we see things that are legitimately disconcerting and unsettling, as there are legitimate unknowns about tomorrow and about days, weeks, months, years ahead, let us remember what is most important and deliberately battle our worry to prioritize the kingdom of God and the pursuit of His righteousness. We have a high calling as His people, a heavenly citizenship that we live in light of. And so in these days, let's put down our phones. Let's step away in order to pray. Let's not give to excuses that we don't have time to pursue the things of the Lord. Let's read our Bibles. Let's gather as His people as often as we are able. Let us encourage one another. Let us sing. Let us seek to share the good news with those around us. To meditate on the promises of God that we have in Christ Jesus about eternity. To lift our minds off of all that troubles us and causes this anxiety to focus on and dwell upon the truths of God's Word, and the promises for His people. To live by faith in light of who we are in Christ and that heavenly citizenship that we can't see right now, but God has promised to all who believe in Christ Jesus. God has shown us all through His Word that He keeps His promises. And so when He makes these promises to us that I can't see, it's not a land I can see with walls that I can physically enter into right now, but we believe Him Because He is God who changes not, He keeps His Word. As He has kept His Word in the Old Testament to His people, so He will keep His promises to you even now. And we live in light of that. We hold fast to that. So that quite literally, if everything collapses around you, and it may, we simply don't know, you yet have every reason to go through your day joyful, Hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have every reason to sing. As Paul did in prison with Silas. Though he was treated horrifically. And did not deserve to be there. Let's lift our minds to think about these things. To give our time to these things. To seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And let us trust our God with all that will come, whatever it may be. And it may very well not be all the things that you dread and fear. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess our sin to you, our worry and our anxiety. We become consumed with what is right in front of us. And every one of us in different ways does this. Father, give us faith. Give us faith to trust you. Even if we go through seasons of scarcity, suffering, of various types, difficulty, you are faithful. You are good. You will keep your word. That the fool is the one who would do everything he can to prolong and save his life now only to forfeit his soul. 
But we are those who have an everlasting inheritance laid up for us, ready to be revealed, all in your good timing. May we trust this, believe this, be confident of this. Forgive us our sin in these areas. Lord, we pray you would sanctify us, that we would not be crushed under the weight of our suffering. Father, there are many things that do trouble us. They're, they're in many ways very real and legitimate concerns. We are thankful that you remind us here that you know these things, you know our needs. Help us to not fret these things, but to walk away, to pursue godliness, to seek to know you, to rejoice, even though there are many troubling matters. Father, we need your help in these things. We are weak. I pray that you'd lift our our heads, you strengthen our knees. Fortify us. Father, we praise you. We do worship you for all of your goodness to us. How much we have fretted and yet how abundantly you have provided for us. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.